0: You're listening to Thinkers What Works podcast. I'm your host Jason Todd, with my co-host Alex Gary, and today Stephen Larson. He's been with the Rockford Symphony Orchestra as its conductor for 27 years in the Rockford area. Stephen, a pleasure to have you here.
1: Pleasure to be here. It seems like 50.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of the that's no. <laughs> the rule. Every year in orchestra is actually two years of life. <laughs>
1: no, it's just it's. Um, Sometimes it seems like that, but um, it's just uh, now, I mean, if, I think if I wasn't consciously aware of how many years it was, if you, if you would have asked me, how long have you been here? My snap answer would have been, oh, maybe 10. Yeah. Just uh, It's just gone by and um, just seems like it's, I've always been here. It's yeah. just kind of amazing.
0: Well, clearly you do what you love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So that helps the time pass, yeah?
2: yeah? Do you remember what your first um, performance was? Uh, here in Rockford, yeah, uh,
1: it was Tchaikovsky's uh, Fifth Symphony, and um, uh, the rest of the program I don't remember. I think it was a, either a violin concerto or a, it might
2: have been a piano concerto, but, but I don't know. Just rumor Tchaikovsky. That's. Have that's you done it again, again, again since? You know, then in, in twenty-seven years. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. The reason we, we were interested in having you come on is that I think symphonies are undergoing the same evolution a lot of entertainment things are, because there's mm-hmm. so much out there competing for uh, time and interest. Right. And it was about a month ago that you did a big, P- a, a big performance of uh, the Star Wars music. Mm-hmm. Was, was that even something that you guys thought about doing back in the 1990s, having to get creative? Well, like we that?
1: did Pops concerts in the 1990s. matter of fact, I, I started Pops concerts here when, when I came here. Our first Pops concert was in 1992. And um, we've expanded it since then. So uh, you know, I've always felt that there's there, there are there are two different markets, two different audiences. There are people who love pops concerts, and people who love uh, the, the classical concerts, and they don't necessarily intersect. Although some people love them both. Um, and uh, uh, you know, there, there are people who would come to a movie concert or a John Williams concert, and probably would. They're just not interested in going to a classics concert. So we want to be able to perform music for them. Um, and it's it's all it's part of this generated from the same source of sound, the symphony orchestra. And uh, it, it, to the extent that some people figure out that, well, I like the sound of John Williams. I wonder if I'd like the sound of Tchaikovsky or Brahms or something like that. Um, I would encourage them to say, yeah, yeah, I think you probably could. Um, Because that's where movie music came from. It came from the the great symphony composers of the 19th century. And um, in my mind, there just isn't a whole lot of
2: difference between them. In terms of picking out what you're going to do each season, is there some metrics to it? Do you sit down and say, okay, this last year, these performances drew this level, these performances drew this level, let's do more of this?
1: Um, no, I, I don't, except for, well, with Pops concerts, we're concerned about audiences. We want people to, to fill up the hall. With classical concerts, I don't think about how many people are going to come. Um, you know, I, I do think that, okay, if I program a, a, a concert of, um, of Zanakis and Penderecki, I know that people aren't going to come. (laughs) That's, that's going to be kind of a bomb. Uh, however, I might like the music. So yeah, there is that aspect. But, um, when I, program a season, there are lots of different things I think about. Um, um, How long has it been since we've done this composer? Uh, How long has it been since we've done this particular piece? Um, When I first came here, for instance, I discovered that in um, the 60 years or something that the Rockford Symphony had been in existence, um, they had never performed any of the even-numbered Beethoven symphonies, two, four, six, or eight. Hmm which is just, I thought, (laughs) wow, okay, we're going to start right now. Um, So I I look at every year, I think about, well, what what did we do last year? And and a piece will come to me and I'll say, well, when's the last time we did that? And I'll look and oh, it was five years ago, maybe too soon. Uh, Then I'll look back at the record, well, it was 25 years ago, time to bring it back. And um, um, think about particular nationalities or styles we've neglected, and uh, we haven't done any Italian music for a couple of years. It's time to put something Italian in the program. And, uh, and all of that gets balanced out with the soloists. Um, start with a, 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 the, the soloists and, um, you know, what are you going to play? Well, we're going to play the the, the Brahms concerto, and somebody else is going to play the, the Mendelssohn Violin concerto. And so when the, the soloist gets picked and their repertoire gets picked, then that has a, an effect of shaping the rest of the program, too. Because you want to balance things out, you don't want to have too. Uh, you don't want to have, have too many. Well, you want to you want you want to balance. You don't want to have too many similar styles, and yet you don't want to have things that are just wildly divergent in style that the people just can't wrap their heads around. So it's a little bit. It's it's a lot of different lot of different factors. And every year I end up with a a list of you know this is these are pieces I really want to do, and. Most of those pieces end up in the cutting room floor when I finally have a season. Um, and maybe they get recycled the next yeah.
0: year or maybe not. Right. You can't do everything.
1: Yeah. There, there are there are pieces that I've wanted to do for the last 10 years and I can't seem to fit into a program and, and into a season. Um, and at some point, maybe I will, maybe I won't.
0: So music plays, I think, in a, a unique and important role just in life and, in, and in, certainly in people's minds in general. What, what role do you think the symphony plays is what's what's the unique role that the symphony plays in in life or in in music oh that's a tough one
1: because it's 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 so broad and it's changed um over the years let's can I go back and sort of start with the way it used to be yeah please um Going back, uh, I think, 100 years is probably fairly safe. We're in the early part of the 20th century. Um, symphony orchestras were the, the sort of the... And, and opera companies. and we, we, we kind of forget today that opera, for the last 400 years, has been the major art form. We don't think of it now as being the major art form, but it really has driven sure. all other musical art forms. Um, opera companies and symphony orchestras were... Um, you know, they were the place where the 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 highest musical culture existed, um, and uh, people uh, people looked up to the composers. They looked up to the orchestras. If you wanted to play a musical instrument, chances are you would study with one of the people who played in the orchestra, um, and um, you would play this sort of repertoire that the, the same composers that the orchestra played and um as, as time went on and of course society changed and economic forces uh uh came around with the uh, the advent of radio and then television and of course the recording industry uh popular music be- took on a much larger uh portion of 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 the economy certainly just you know it's not even talking about uh, uh Personal preferences, just a huge chunk of the economy, with with the the record industry and then mm-hmm. the the digital industry and everything. So, um, although the, the symphony industry and and the the and an opera grew during this time, not anywhere near as much as the pop popular music industry did. Sure. Um, and one of the things this affects uh, this had is sort of pulled people away from. Uh, their contact with the classical, uh, the classical orchestras, the, the, the opera orchestras. Um, and I think people forgot how much they really had in common with that stuff. Um, you don't have to go back that far to like the, 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 the cartoons, the Saturday morning cartoons, which almost always had soundtracks that featured classical music. Hmm. Um and this because while well, the people who did the soundtracks were familiar with this, but they also knew that this was going to communicate with people. There were, there were kind of you know, sonic memes that uh, that you could use to uh, to communicate. And um, as uh, popular music gained more and more of a foothold, it also shortened people's attention spans uh, and simplified what they were what they were listening to. Um, the uh I, I think that if you went back to popular music in the 1930s, for instance, um, and what people listened to, they were listening to a lot more sophisticated uh, musical uh, forms, musical compositions than what you generally hear today. Um, and uh, today and and also you even go back to like well, my childhood. Um, I remember growing up listening to music that uh, in the nineteen sixties and nineteen seventies. Um, you could listen to almost any mass market station, and you'd hear everything from Frank Sinatra to um, uh, to the, the, the current whatever the current rock bands, the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, you know they were all they were all played. All sorts of different styles were played on these mass market stations then. Now you don't see that anymore. It's uh radio stations tend to be focused very very tightly on one particular style because they they're near, they're zeroing in on that particular audience because ultimately the the only reason that a radio station is in business is to sell advertising. <laughs> That's it. Sure. They're not there to present music. They're, they're 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 to sell advertising. Um and they've fine-tuned their 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 industry so they could do that. Well, we're not in the business to sell advertising. We're not really in the business to make money. Although we're not in business to lose money either. <laughs> um, it, it may seem kind of highfalutin, but we're we're there because we are presenting an art and trying to uh, present it in the highest possible fashion, the, the best possible fashion, and also to educate people to 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 uh, to. Remind people that uh, this is out there, and it's it's not this there because it's somehow good for you um, it's there because it is it's great music and uh, recognizing that not everybody can just sit down and listen to a Wagner opera and understand what's going on, still the capability is there for anybody to to eventually. Get into the nuts and bolts of that piece, yeah, and understand. Um, I tell you a, a quick story about you know Wagner operas are very controversial. You know, op, the opera "In to the till, till the Fat Lady Sings," you know that that came from yeah. mm-hmm. the Wagner operas and everything. And um, some people, oh, they just can't stand the thought of uh, of, of um, sitting through a Wagner opera and. Um, even George Bernard Shaw said, Wagner has great moments in tedious quarter hours. <laughs> um, and yes, there is some yeah. truth to that. But, okay, uh, this is about five years ago when the Met was doing their complete Ring cycle, uh, uh, all four operas from the Ring, and broadcasting them on, on public television. And I was sitting down for an evening, the first opera, Das Rheingold, and um, my son, who was 15 at the time, I was walking through the room. I said, "Come here, sit down. I want you to just listen to the first four minutes of this opera because I think you'll think it's pretty cool." Two and a half hours later, he hadn't moved. Really? Wow. He was mesmerized. Yeah. Um, at, and you know, you think about it. Well, what's not to like about this? You're talking about gods and goddesses and giants and yeah. dragons and things like that. This is this is cool stuff. Um, and you could, you know, the translation was there, so you could see what was happening. Um, it was photographed in a way, or the cinematography was in a way that um, these people looked real. It didn't look like, like like cardboard figures or something. It was really an enjoyable experience, and he just, he really loved it. Yeah. Well, you know, if I would have told him, you're going to sit down and watch a Wagner opera tonight, he would have probably, <laughs> no, no, there would be no way. But um, that's the kind of thing that can happen, Um Somebody thinks, well, this isn't the kind of music. I really don't like this sort of stuff. You, 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 you sit them down and say, okay, listen to this. And if it's the right piece, they'll, they'll, they'll get hooked.
0: Sure. Yeah. You talk about how music perhaps has become simpler, uh, and with people's shorter attention spans, and you know, we were talking about how uh, you had done some pieces from from, from Star Wars, and I, I think of movies i think how movies tell a story right and so you're engaged mm-hmm. in that story over let's say an hour and a half or two and a half hours or even longer and symphonies are much the same way and you're talking about operas you it's a story it's it something unfolds in front of you it's not just you know uh, a, a good beat for the next four and a half minutes you right? Know, and and talking about how we're going to go dancing with each other
1: because ultimately that that two and a half minute pop song is not <laughs> going to engage you for much longer than two and a half minutes right. then you want to want something else and i want to be clear i yeah i am don't don't denigrate this music i don't say it's yeah. less significant it just it's it is what it is it's there to sell records and to get people, you know, the pulses up or get them dancing or yeah. uh, singing along, and and it does it well,
0: which is great. It seems it seems to me maybe that there's a population of people who don't understand the complexity of oh that's of most some of, of the population
1: music. doesn't understand the complexity and and that's one of the things that um, you know what somebody says they don't like opera. Uh, I always want to say, well, what kind of opera? Because there's, you know, there's opera I don't like too. Sure. And I'm an opera conductor, and and so there's there's so many different styles uh, of opera that there's probably something out there that would appeal to you. Some people like the Teutonic stuff, like the Wagner, and other people like the comedies, and other people like the romantic stuff, like Madame Butterfly, and, and they, they they get into that. Um, but um, there's something out there for everybody, and uh, the. Uh, it just takes sometimes a, a little, um, a gentle introduction to, uh, to you know the, what you're going to hear, and 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 you know, and it's okay. Uh, this is probably at least at first not going to grab your uh, your attention for every minute. Sure, you're going to drift off for a little yeah. bit and say, I don't know what's going on now. And then someone all of a sudden, you'll hear something. <laughs> oh yeah, I like that tune. Yeah, that's good. So that you know, that happens all the time. I mean, it just happens to any of us. Music can be a very complex art form, and you just can't. It, it, it's and it's a, a, it it's it exists in the dimension of time, and you don't have the chance to stop things like if yeah. you're in an art gallery. You can look at a painting, and um, and you can stare at it for a while, and you can check it out from this angle and walk up close and look to it, look at it. Uh, you can't do that when you're listening to the music. It's gone the moment that you hear it. Sure, and all you can do is try to remember. And of course, a good composer is going to bring that back at some point, so you do remember it, mm-hmm. and maybe a couple times. Uh, so, but um, um, it takes usually a couple times listening to a piece to really uh, start to absorb it. Yeah. And sometimes you just don't have the opportunity to do that.
0: Yeah. So part of your part of your uh, craft of being conductor, and I, I guess the term of a craft, it's a job, right? But it's kind of a craft. Yeah. Uh, it, I I think of it as a As an exercise in management right oh yeah so you you kind of have an end goal that you're shooting for right and it has to it has to sound very similar to you know what that uh what that piece or that symphony is supposed to sound like right Mm you can't go too far awry uh and you have to have all of these people you're working with some of whom have their own concepts and how do you manage that you have to not only be great at music but the art of conducting and the technical parts of conducting and then all of a sudden the uh people person and managing all these people too
1: yeah the longer i'm i'm involved in conducting i think the less i understand it i used to think i knew everything about it uh, when i was younger and knew everything but um just as amazing as you get you get older and realize how much it is you there is out there that you really don't know um it's a lot of different things. There, There's the physical aspect of conducting, some things which you can teach people, like this is how you do a four-pattern, a three-pattern, this is how you bring people in, this is how you cut them off. Um, but beyond that, it's all about learning the music, knowing how you want the music to sound, and persuading other people to play it that way. Yeah. And... Um, you can persuade people by talking to them. You can persuade people by showing them with a gesture. Uh, you can persuade people just by the force of your personality. Mm-hmm. And there are many stories about conductors being able to do that. One um, uh, story: the Berlin Philharmonic timpanist uh, told this story about um, a former timpanist. He's dead now, but uh, back when um, Wilhelm Furtwängler was the conductor, and Furtwängler had you know, was notoriously had a notorious uh, uh, um, tight control, mind control over the orchestra. I mean, he just, they just could read his mind. Um, and they were rehearsing one day with a, a guest conductor, and um, the timpanist was back there, and he had a score open. He was, you have a lot of rest when you play the timpani, right. so he's following the <laughs> score along. And all of a sudden, he, he, he heard this, the sound of the orchestra change completely. So he looked up, and Furtwängler had walked into the room in the back, and the orchestra had seen him. Yeah. And they changed, they completely changed the way that they were playing. Yeah. Um, you know, that's kind of spooky, but that's the sort of thing that happens. Uh, um, if you, you can put two conductors, three conductors up in front of an orchestra conducting the same piece, and the orchestra will sound completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why? I don't know. Just, there's, there's some personality thing going on, there's some uh, telepathy. And that's really what it's all about. And Beyond that, it's it's psychology. Um, It's you know, how do you persuade people to do what you want them to do? When especially when they're reluctant, right? You know, use a little humor.
0: um, um, Just lots of different techniques. You've probably practiced a lot of those techniques through the years. Yeah, yeah. Do you still find yourself trying new things?
1: I don't think I consciously think about trying a new thing. Um, you just kind of read the situation and say, okay, this is not going well. Um, what else can I try here? Um, and um, you try a different tactic. If you sense that people are um, you know, getting, they're, they're, they're getting a little tense, you can lighten up the atmosphere a little bit mm-hmm. and make a joke at your own expense or something and um, see if that, uh, that, that changes yeah. things.
0: In in your experience, do you think uh, you know? I've, I've been a part of many musical productions and and theater productions, and uh, it's one thing to have that practice, right? You have mm-hmm. you have a certain feeling in practice, and things do kind of come together. But then it's, there's always somebody always says something like, "Well, it's going to come together during the performance. That's when it's really going to hit." What yeah. what's your opinion on that?
1: Uh, I like things to come together in the rehearsal <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm grateful when things come together in the performance um, uh, you know it's one of these things and it's just uh, it's uh, you you're, you're 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 thankful and you're you're gonna, you promise you're gonna live a better life after <laughs> right. this. uh but um, uh, I, I I believe in practice I believe in rehearsal mm-hmm. uh, and I also believe in inspiration mm-hmm. Um really setting fire to something during the performance but um, no you can't rely on that it's all going to come together during the performance it has to the 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 the, the, the structure has to be intact mm-hmm. before you yeah. can do that
0: you got to practice the, the in your you you got to do it in, in in your practice as you anticipate doing it in your performance yeah, yeah?
1: There's lots of little little tricks about that. If you're a singer, for instance, uh, you're you're coaching a singer, you always tell a singer to plan for more breath than you think you're going to need because if you get a little bit nervous, first thing to go is the breath support. Yeah, um, and that's true for uh, instrumentalists too. If they're if they have a very important solo, very difficult solo coming up. Um, You you have to be thinking about that. Uh, How much on the edge are they? Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, how can I help them to relax? Uh, How can I be sensitive to where they are so that if they are getting towards the edge, I can move things along a little bit? Yeah. um, And these are things that uh, nobody can teach you. Some people know it instinctively. Some people just learn it over time uh, and hopefully get better at it. And uh, I think I've gotten better at it over the years. Um, i was just talking about this with my wife last night. Um, I think one of the things that that's helped me the most um, to become a, a good conductor is to try to be less clear in my conducting. Okay. Um, and uh, th- this this happened a number of years ago, when I was working in Chicago, worked with uh, very frequently work, work with uh, musicians who played in the Lyric Opera. And uh, they talk about, oh, man, this, this conductor we've got now is really great. He's just, we really love him. Just great performances. And i go and see the performance, and I think, you know, the orchestra's kind of, plays, kind of playing sloppy, and they're not playing in tune, and mm-hmm. you know, what's going on here? And then they'd hear, about, oh, this this guy's a real jerk. We can't follow him. He just waves his arms around, and we just can't figure out what's happening. And i go and hear the performance, and they sound great. They sound just really just spectacular. And... And then uh, I, I studied with a, a Russian conducting teacher, Russia, uh, Russian conductor Kirill Kondrashin, and um, he said that you have to make the orchestras a little bit uncomfortable. If they get too comfortable, they sit back in their chairs mm-hmm. and uh, and they don't really have to think. They don't have to listen. You give it all to them. Mm-hmm. You show them the beat. You have to you have to make them sit up a little bit and 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 work on finding where the the unity is mm-hmm. and how to play together. And then you're all you're all invested in it. Yeah. It's not just you up there waving your arms and sweating and everybody else sitting back in their chair and waiting for the rehearsal to be over.
0: So by you not being too clear, you encourage them to engage on their own, which then encourages a better a better final result.
1: Yeah, um you know, they just something like giving a uh, a downbeat a slow downbeat for a, a chord that's that's coming. That the the woodwinds have to play, and and brass maybe have to play this chord all together. Yeah. There are ways of giving that downbeat so that um, they almost have no other choice but to play together. Yeah. And there are ways of giving the downbeat where you just kind of just go like this, and you can't see this, cause yeah. it's a, But you just sort of bring your hand down yeah. and stop, and.
0: And suddenly from, they have to from, listen
1: and and, yeah. and all of a sudden they have to sort of tune into each other yeah and miraculously they all play it together right <laughs> um it's it's kind of a magic trick in a way i just love to do it <laughs>
0: <laughs> so this is this is one of those things maybe you know you said you've been conducting for so long one of those things that that does sort of happen by magic and you talk about you know I feel like I know less now than I you know did or, or I don't know as much as I could have, uh, so there's there's all of these things maybe the magic of the performance and 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 the energy of a certain person walking in the room and then how do you how do you conduct just enough give them mm-hmm. just enough and let people do their own thing, which is sort of the magic and the art and the craftsmanship maybe behind conducting. Yeah, this is a whole. Um... Business of analogies. Um,
1: uh, some people talk about a great orchestra as being like a highly tuned sports car. Some people say it's like you know riding a a race horse or something. You know, you if you're riding that horse and if you you know kick him in the ribs, you know, probably going to get thrown. Um, but um, you ride that that horse, and if you understand the horse, just you know leaning forward a little bit is going to. That's all you need to do with to get that horse to move. And um, conducting an orchestra is a, a lot the same. You, you, you have to feel your way a, around a little bit. And um, if, you're, if you're conducting and, and, and you feel the orchestra beginning to slow down a little bit, um, paradoxically, you don't start beating more. Hmm. You start beating less. And, and then they'll speed up. Um, Interesting. Yeah, they are they're, they're just little funny little tricks like that that you learn after a while. Um, I was helping to helping a friend who was conducting his first Verdi Requiem, and there's a um, uh, a movement where the, the the soprano and mezzo solo sing in octaves and it's quite slow, and um, and he was conducting faster and faster and faster, and they were gasping for breath. And uh, during the break, he said, "I don't know what to do. I just do. They can't. They just can't seem to 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 uh, to, to sing it in tempo. And, and uh, I keep on getting it faster, so they don't have to breathe so much." I said, "That's the problem. You're conducting it so fast they don't they don't have time to breathe. Yeah. It's not a question of breath control of how long. Try try doing it twice that slow, <laughs> and, and they'll probably be just fine because they'll, now they'll have they have enough
0: time to breathe." It. Sure enough, it worked. <laughs> So, so your your background are are you a musician as well? Uh, well, conductors that depends if you
2: if you uh, consider you, conducting or, or, a musician.
1: Yeah, orchestras <laughs> will quite often say, "Well, you're a conductor or a musician." Sure. Do um, um, you play an instrument? Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah. Matter of fact, I was. Um, walking past orchestra hall carrying my cello, and I'm an amateur cellist. I'm okay. not a professional cellist, but uh, two guys in the Chicago Symphony were talking in front of orchestra hall, and they saw me and said, oh, I didn't know you were a musician. <laughs> 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 oh, <You> gotcha. <laughs> um, I started playing trumpet um, in, in in grade school and high school. I got to be pretty good at it, and um, uh, I think what, what um, probably got me into classical music was Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Hmm. Um, I first heard their their pictures at an exhibition and the things that they did, the rock versions. And somebody said to me, well, if you think that that's good, you ought to hear the original. And I heard the original. I said, yeah, I, I like this. <laughs> but that got me involved in classical music. I had no background in it, really. My, my family was not musical in the least bit. Wow. Um, and uh, in fact, you my, my Mother is one of eight children, and my father is one of eight children, and and all that extended family, all the cousins. I'm the only one who ever played a musical instrument. Wow! So, I mean, that's almost absurd. Uh, but that's in the, the in the um, children of the depression de- depression generation. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how things were. Sure. So, if you didn't, if you weren't going to be a
0: conductor, what were you going to be?
1: Oh, I was gonna, probably going to be a physician. Really? Uh, yeah. Okay. I started out in pre med. All right. And um, if I would have known back then I had ADD, I probably would have <laughs> figured out a way to, <laughs> to get around okay, that. Okay, well. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, ADD and pre-med don't necessarily go very well.
2: Um, so, I have a question. How much turnover is there in the symphony? Not a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, have you had musicians who have been there the entire 27 yeah, years? Yeah.
1: Really? Yeah, some of them have been there oh, 35 years, 38 years in some cases. Um my first, probably the first 10 years, we had a lot more turnover because we weren't paying as much back then either. So we would go through, probably have to get about 15, 20 new people every year.
2: So in a way, an orchestra is like a team and yeah. and you're building a team. Right. Had, had Had there been years where at the end of the season you said, my team wasn't as good as I want. I need five new team members and is it is it the same kind of situation
1: well sometimes we we've actually i've had to really get rid of very very few people because one of the things i've learned a long time ago is that musicians have a lot of pride and if you give them a challenge that they feel that they can't they just can't manage they'll 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 get out rather than fail um so I the first couple of years and this wasn't a conscious effort. I just found out by just um, um sort of upping the ante a little bit, upping the 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 the, the level of the repertoire we were playing, the difficulty uh and therefore the amount of practice time you had to put into it. Some people just dropped out because they just couldn't keep up with it anymore. Um and um and as we, uh, we started paying the, the, the players more, uh, it began to be more of a desirable job and people stuck around. Now, nobody is full-time in the orchestra. They're all um, per-service players and they'll come from all over the Chicago area and obviously some from Rockford too, but um, we get people from, you know, Evanston, from the suburbs of Chicago... Um, I think our most distant member, our principal trombone player, lives about 25 miles north of Milwaukee. Oh wow! And um, that's quite a trek. Yeah, it is quite a trek. Now he could, if we were doing this every day, he couldn't do right, this obviously. Yeah. But um, on the schedule we have, when we have four rehearsals generally before a concert, um, he can he can manage that. Yeah.
2: One of the things I was reading a few years ago led me to make a, an incorrect assumption. I was reading about the, Destro- the Detroit symphony orchestra Mm -hmm. when Detroit was really having problems and and it was a Time magazine piece about how uh, it is getting this has to be about 2011 where it's getting difficult for cities to support things like symphony orchestras and yet and and when I was looking online before you came in I saw a lot of those kind of stories in 2013 2014 I don't see them in 2015 16 and 17 and I'm looking at the statistics here and we have about as many symphony orchestras today as we did in 1998 so what has the industry done as a whole uh, to find a niche to survive? Well,
1: we have the same, but uh, a lot of orchestras have come and gone in that period. And, and I think um, if you looked at um, sort of the mean of, of orchestral uh, finances there's probably, it's probably declined somewhat in the last 15, 20 years. There have been some orchestras that have gone under and have been replaced by orchestras with much, much lower budgets. You know, you might have still the an orchestra that uh, that services the particular symphony, but they're not making, they're, the musicians are paid less, they have less services. Um, and um, a lot of people look at this and attribute this to, well, classical music is declining. Um... But it's always been the minority art form. Um, it, hasn't, it, has, it hasn't been as disconnected from popular culture as it is as it is today. Uh, they were much closer at one time. But what really happened, I think is in the 1960s the Ford Foundation came up with a report and a grant program um, that uh, basically tried, tried to raise the Income of orchestral musicians, and sort of raised the bar for orchestras across the country. They, they encouraged orchestras to um, increase their number of performances, increase the amount that they paid the musicians, and to with, with the idea that the, this infusion of money was really sort of going to jumpstart the the, the 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 whole classical music scene to give it this this new vitality. And it did for a while, and then fizzled out. And and when it fizzles out, uh, you have a situation where an orchestra that's developed now—they've uh, become a full-time orchestra. They're um, playing forty-eight year, weeks out of the year, or something like that. Everybody's making a, a good living at that orchestra. That orchestra goes under. Yeah, there'll be an orchestra that will come back and take its place. But now they're—they're they're not. There's not not full-time musicians anymore. They're only part-time. They're not making nearly as much money. Um, and. So I, I think that the, the that Ford Foundation initiative really overshot and ended up producing in the 1970s an artificially large and robust uh, uh, symphonic music business that really was unsustainable. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, in Europe, uh, these initiatives have always been government funded, at least largely government funded. They don't worry about ticket sales and stuff like that. Um, the government takes care of that, less so today than, than used, they used to. But um, you musicians come over from Europe, and they're just amazed that we just don't get government support here. They just assume that, well, this is, you know, we, we have this in Europe. Doesn't everybody have this?
2: There was, a, there was another statistic I wanted to ask you about, and it comes out of this uh, study I found 2013 was a moment of transition in ticket buying as single ticket revenues and group sales exceeded subscription revenues yeah. for the first time yeah is that about the time the debt happened in Rockford as well um
1: it probably happened a couple of years before that um, because really the the of course the, the, the recession hit here in about 2007 and uh, we noticed it really about 2009 I think it it, it uh, I, I might be off by a year but that's that's about right. Uh, The first year we thought, well, gee, maybe we're not going to get hit by this at all. And then after that, oh, just a little bit of a delayed reaction. Um, uh, 25 years ago, the the Bible for orchestra and opera companies was a book called Subscribe Now by Danny Newman, who was the um, uh, um, marketing director of Lyric Opera. And his model was... um, you know, to to survive, to really prosper, you want to sell us the subscriptions because that's your money up front. Those are your committed people, and uh, uh, after that, you sell the tic- ticket sales, the single tickets, to fill up the hall. Um, nobody is making it on subscriptions anymore. Hmm. Uh, nobody, and and I'm not just talking about symfo- symphonies or, or opera. I mean, uh, series like uh, you know the, the 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 BMO Harris Performance Series, popular series they they can't sell subscribers uh, subscriptions anymore people's time is just too precious now people uh, we we've always when whenever we do a strategic planning uh initiative you know we always do the the, the SWOT analysis you know sure. strengths, strengths weaknesses opportunities threats yeah. they do that everywhere huh? yeah <laughs> it's, it's everybody does that and um you know who are our uh, our, our threats uh, you know, do we have Are we threatened by other organizations, by other arts organizations? No. We're we're threatened by people's time, the the, the lack of time. Hmm. Um, And simply, I I think people look at their their schedule this year and they say, are you kidding? I'm going to decide what I'm going to be doing in March and April, uh, you know, eight months from now? No. I'll just buy the single ticket, and if once I get there, if I want to go, I'll buy another single ticket. So does that
2: affect your scheduling or your choices?
1: Uh, It makes things a little... A, a, a little bit uh, dicier because when you had that subscription money you, thought, you said okay well now all you gotta do is sell a certain number of tickets and we'll we'll make our goal and, uh, and we'll be fine. Now when you're going into the season um, you have to sell more than half of the house in order to make your financial goal so every concert, every, every single performance is a uh, it's a major challenge now. Mm-hmm. Marketing is much more important than it was
0: yeah yeah without that subscription revenue that just kind of gives you that base that sure thing you Mm -hmm. you like you mentioned you go into every performance and now you're kind of reselling yourself every time
1: yeah and then of course you're you're uh uh, subject to the 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 whims of scheduling if you're um Mm -hmm. you have a performance this weekend and um there just so happens that there were um three or four other big events in rockford the, that week, um, you know, there just there's only so much time and money to go around. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the great debacles in scheduling happened here about, about five years ago. We had uh, Todd Rundgren hired us to do two concerts, and Todd Rundgren had just he had only done this uh, he'd done these concerts in Europe. When we were the first place in the United States wow. that he was going to perform with a symphony orchestra, and so he scheduled two concerts here. And what did the BMO Harris Center do? They scheduled Cheap Trick oh, no. against both of those concerts in the, in the same weekend.
2: That wouldn't happen nowadays with them under the same umbrella, <laughs>
1: right? Um, well, theoretically, <laughs> they were under the same umbrella at oh, that my. time. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh,
2: the communication is better. No, it wouldn't happen
1: now. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't happen. But their thinking was, and it was kind of an outdated thinking, was, well, you know, there's two performances of each, Um uh, you know, if you can go to see Cheap Trick on Saturday, Friday night, and you can go to see Todd Rundgren on Saturday night, well, yeah. Except when you talk to people uh, who who are fans of both, right? Um, they tell you things all like, all we, you know, getting a babysitter both of those nights yeah. was impossible. And yep. you talk about going out for dinner and the concert—that's a lot of money on a weekend. Yeah, and these are realities. Right. Um, so you, know, we've we've got to be looking at that too. Um, just in our scheduling, if we have too many events on top of each other, we we, we get less attendance.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we, we try to schedule things about a month apart on the whole and and that's that tends to work out
0: pretty well. So what's the next exciting thing coming up for Rockford Symphony Orchestra? Now
1: are you talking about in terms of like our next concert or our next
0: no, big, I'm big what's, endeavor? No, i what's your next big